welcome back into the Short Pour Saloon. My name is Joel Penfield, joined as always by Philip Slavin. What's going on, my friend? Joel, doing pretty well. We're uh, we're just about at the end of the Oklahoma State sports season. Track and field is in Eugene, Oregon for the uh, NCAA Track and Field National Championships, but that's about it. That's it. Softball is over. Uh, baseball is over. We can talk about them briefly. It is, it is, it's, uh, look, we're not doing it today. It is almost football season. Yeah. At least talking about football season. And there's lots to talk about. We've got playoff expansion, probably going to 12 teams. We got Oklahoma State scheduled Alabama for seven years from now. Uh, and we've got a big guest coming up here on the pod in just a few minutes. Um, so why don't, why don't we, why don't we do baseball and softball wrap up here real quick? Cause I don't, I don't, I don't know how much time I want to spend on them. <laughs> right. It's no, still I, a little raw. It, it's still, it's very raw. You're, you're very much right there. Uh, we'll start with softball. Uh, they end up going one and two in the women's college world series. Uh, they beat Georgia in their first game and then they end up playing. Of course they play the team of destiny, James Madison, Odyssey, Alexander uh, was amazing in that game, made made the ridiculous play uh, in the seventh inning for what would have been the tying run. And then Oklahoma State uh, was forced to play their elimination game against Florida State right around midnight. Game finishes at 3 in the morning, and they lose their 4-2 to two seasons over. But you and I talked about this, and this is my, my one really parting thought from this team, that getting to the College World Series is tough, and, is tough in and of itself. But Oklahoma State's done it two years in a row. They now have to take the tougher step of winning games there because last two times they've gone one and two. And like I said, getting there is tough enough, and that's a welcome thing, and that's amazing in and of itself. And one of the top eight teams in the country get to only eight teams in the country get to go. But now it's taking that next step, getting there, and winning, and competing, and moving on to play for a national championship like Florida State and OU are currently. Yeah, I, I am. I'll be honest. I was more disappointed by this exit than baseballs. We'll talk about it in a second. I didn't think they played particularly well. Um, the thing that has cursed Oklahoma State this season has been errors, and I, I think they had some issues with that. Late in game one against Georgia, I, I thought they were a little bit – they played clutch to get that win, but they played had to play clutch, I think, because of some of the mistakes that they made. Um, the, the error early in the game is basically what, you know, giving James Madison a 1-0 lead that they didn't earn – set Oklahoma State up for failure when Odyssey and look Odyssey Alexander was I'm not don't take anything with her she was amazing I don't care who wins this damn thing if she's not the MVP or whatever the award is I don't hear about so-and-so because OU won or Florida State I don't give a shit about any of that she is she was the best player in this period hands down and it was a team of destiny and then Oklahoma State has the bullshit 11 p 30 p.m first pitch against this Florida State team who's uh, the other team of destiny, I guess, because they're now in the finals against Oklahoma. And at this current point in game one, they're up seven to two on the Sooners. I still think Sooners win it all because nobody's beaten them more than once so far this season. Um, it was just a little bit of an unlucky draw, but I, it was a great season. It was a tough end. I still think, I don't think they would have beaten Oklahoma. Like, I don't think, I don't think OSU was winning this thing but the they've got to figure some stuff out OSU and the Florida State having a first pitch at 11 30 because of rain and then they figured that out later that benefited Oklahoma and the bracket is weird 
that you move that the winner never, goes to the loser's bracket on the other side bracket. I don't understand I all of never, that. I don't try and understand the 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 men's is a little confusing, but not I feel like the women's is infinitely more confusing than the men's side. Oh, so but much think, so. But I think a lot of it is the fact that it is such a condensed schedule. Like yes. they play it over three or four days when the men do it almost over two weeks. Yes. If you're going to devote this much time to getting the Women's College World Series and the exposure that it got has been remarkable, and mm-hmm. the amount of like people that don't even that aren't even involved in softball, baseball, anything, watching it and going, "This is awesome," you would think the NCAA would figure out maybe we shouldn't play games at midnight so that people can actually watch these games. It was an elimination game that nobody watched. That were you know people still go to the stadium and credit to them, but. I'm sorry, I wasn't going to stay up to midnight and watch that game. It's it's ridiculous. And it screwed Oklahoma State over and it screwed Florida State over for that matter too. Like It's just yeah. – it, it was an infuriating decision that the men wouldn't have to deal with. And that, I'm not trying to get into that discussion, but they wouldn't have done that to, the, to on the men's side. The men's schedule takes too long. The women's schedule is too short. And, and we gripe, with this thing getting attention, how could you let something like this happen? It's been, it's been happening – when no one was paying attention. Now people are paying attention so we can make things happen. And, I, and, I, and I, I'm trying to come at things from that positive standpoint of the benefit of people paying attention, of ratings being up, of so many people focused on women's basketball, WNBA, collegiate softball. With more eyeballs on this, it's going to force things to be corrected. I, I, the, the ESPN crew, the women who call, and the men, but really the women, who call these games, who sit on ESPN and do 24, their 24-hour show. I forget which one is their softball show. Forgive me. I apologize. There's a couple different podcasts I listen to, and one of them is theirs. They have been pushing and pushing and pushing from this, and it's working. And so I think the, there is enough complaining that we, they will take a look at how this is set up for next year and make it better. And, so I, and that's all I can say. My positive takeaway from this is we know some things are wrong. Figure out how to make it better. And, and let's, let's go from there. It was disappointing. I'm going to miss these seniors. I'm going to miss Everly. I'm going to miss Fibri. I'm going to miss Simonek. I There's some young talent, but I, I mean, I am going to, those three, and I know there are more seniors than that, but those three, I'm going to miss them a lot. They, yeah. they have been so impactful these past two seasons or two point, whatever that last 2020 season was. Um, yeah. I'm really interested to see because it, it transfers have been such a big impact. I'm really interested to see the, the young players on this roster continue to get better um, and who the next players are. But for these seniors, I'm going to miss them. They have been amazing and fantastic and helped take Oklahoma State to the next level, to this level they're at now, to arguably, if not the best, one of the best softball seasons. It's, it's the best modern softball season for Oklahoma State. Yes. I, I, don't, I, didn't, I, I didn't watch a single play of Michelle Smith's time at Oklahoma State. Okay. I did. I don't know anything other than just knowing about it. I can't be like, I remember so-and-so for modern Oklahoma state softball this is the best season ever. And we saw how well they played. They ran into two teams that just were, it was unfortunate to run into. They got another win. They've taken another step forward. I love where this program is going. Absolutely. Moving over to the baseball side, uh, they, they ended up in the Tucson Regional uh, against number five seed Arizona, Grand Canyon University, who Oklahoma State played earlier this year, and then UC Santa Barbara, who's, who's one of the more consistently good California baseball programs. They were in the College World Series here, Oklahoma State was in 2016. 
that was a tough draw. And when I saw the regional draw that they got, for one, I was glad it wasn't Arkansas. But uh, that was the that was the main one. But I knew that the teams in it, it was not going to be favorable to Oklahoma State. And I had a feeling they'd probably go 0-2 or 1-2, and that's what happened. Uh, they got bounced in pretty unceremonious fashion. I think it was like 14-4 to both times against UCSB. UCSB is really damn good. They just, they are. They don't, they don't have many big name guys, but they're always a consistent team that gets into regionals and supers and finds ways to win games. They just, they do. And at the beginning of the year, when you look at the roster, Oklahoma State had the roster to get to Omaha. But as the year progressed, the way the injuries hit, as I mentioned a couple episodes ago, it wasn't like they had one here and there that they could get around. It was significant pieces of this roster, mainly on the pitching staff, that Oklahoma State had to get through. And Parker Scott, Brett Stanley were able to come back, but we don't know how close to 100% they were. They probably were pitching because they were seniors or they're going to go pro. And so they wanted to come back and pitch. And so, you know, you have those in her that you're really having to throw Mitchell Stone in who has missed most of the last couple of years with arm injuries. And I thought he was good, but, you know, not a guy that you want to throw in a regional game to start. You know, the bats kind of went, went cold there. UCSB pitched really well. Like, it was just one of those things that just the way that the, the injuries and the way the rest of the season unfolded, it just wasn't going to work. And it sucks because the senior group on this team is really good. Christian Encarnacion, you know, big, you know, pretty, you know, one of the best players in the entire conference. You know, there, there was so much to like about this team. It's just the way that it worked out. And I, I say it all the time, but that's baseball. It's just the way that the chips fell just didn't end up in their favor. And it is what it is. It's just kind of, it's just kind of the way the season rolled, especially toward the back half of the year. I'm not sad they lost in the regional. I'm just – I understand UC Santa Barbara is a good program, but you got beat 14-4 and 13-3. That, that's, I'm more disappointed with how things just went for them. You thought they might be getting healthy at the right time, and obviously they weren't 100%. That's, that's understandable. But that's – like, it was – and it was clear both games were over early. There was no, like, oh, they're in it and it late. No, they were both over quickly. And it's, it's just it's a disappointing end of the season. I think Oklahoma State, kind of like Nebraska in our, at Arkansas, got really shitty draws by the committee. I don't think Oklahoma State should have been the two seed and Tucson and the five seed. Like, that's ridiculous. And I understand geography and all that bullshit. I, I don't agree with it. They should have been sent somewhere. They should have been sent to a higher-numbered or a lower-numbered regional, a 15, a 14, a 13. That mm-hmm. is my opinion. They had the resume, the RPI to do that, but they didn't get sent there. Uh, but, you know, Nebraska probably should have been hosting this year, and they got sent to Arkansas and almost beat, almost won that regional, which tells you all you need to know about Nebraska and how good they were. So it's a disappointing year. It's a disappointing end of the year. I think it was a good year that was disappointing, not because of anything the team did, but because of the injuries that piled upon the team that were out of their control. I mean, yeah, it's just – That, to me, was it. Yeah, that's just kind of the, the nature of it. We'll move on to 22. Um, Josh, you know, with Josh Holiday, you know Oklahoma State's going to get to regionals, and they're going to be a competitive team all the way through. Uh, Philip mentioned earlier, kind of teased it, that we have a big interview for this episode where we'll have 40 on the other side of this break. We're very excited. We're going to talk to a former Cowboy basketball assistant, Eric Pastrana. Uh, he is now an assistant over at uh, University of Florida. But we're going to talk about his time here and his time with Coach Boynton and the impact of Cade and, you know, the, his time with the program. We're, we're really excited about it. Have that for you right after this. Philip and I are now joined by former Cowboy basketball assistant uh, Eric Pastrana, now uh, part of the Florida Gators coaching staff. We're going to talk about his time in Stillwater uh, for two seasons under Coach Boynton. Coach, how's it going? Thank you for joining us. It's going well. Appreciate you guys having me. 
anytime I, I can talk about Oklahoma State and those two years I got to spend there, it's definitely a welcome time because it was a fun time. Well, let's, let's start there. You know, two years at Oklahoma State, a lot, a lot happened while you were there. Obviously, you had Cade Cunningham. You have the, the run to the NCAA tournament for the first time in a while. You're dealing with the NCAA sanctions and the postseason ban that will or won't happen. We don't know. I mean, there, a lot happened during your two years there. What What is your heading to Florida? I know you had, had had left the quote that it was going to take a special situation for you to leave Stillwater. And obviously Florida is one of those, you being a guy from the state of Florida and then having coached there quite a bit previously. I mean, what was it about Oklahoma State that that you enjoyed the most, be it just as a guy who was living in Stillwater or, and as a coach? It's an easy one. Uh, the people people man uh in all the places i've coached at uh, the best places have been with just being surrounded by people the facilities are great and all the, all those other things um you know the town's really cool it's a college town all that stuff's great but the people you know the the administration the fan base the community the support um and then the people we got to work with uh mike specifically that was the reason that i that i went to oklahoma state in the first place I know a lot of people just assume you jump from FAU to, to the Big 12, and um, I think Mike would say this, and hopefully it's why it makes me pretty good at the relationship part of my job. I don't really care about the level as much as the people that I'm surrounded by, and, and Mike Boyden was the reason that I went to Oklahoma State, and, and, and there was a whole bunch of reasons that I, I wanted to stay and, and would have loved to stay. Um, and they mainly surrounded the people. Those were hard relationships to, to walk away from. But, but I, you know, I treasure them. And like I said, they're lifelong friendships that I'm, I'm taking with me. Coach, what, what do you think you're going to be, what you take away the most from your time at Oklahoma State with Coach Boynton and, you know, Coach Scott Sutton and the history that Oklahoma, the Oklahoma State program carries with people like Mr. Iba and Eddie Sutton and, and people like that. What do you think you can take away and take to Florida with you uh, from your time at Oklahoma State? Yeah, so there, that's, uh, that's a loaded uh, question because there, there's so many things. You talk about the tradition and the history of Oklahoma State, and um, it's, a special, it's a special place, man. Like you can't – the amount of pride that, that you, you have walking into that arena and – and that fan base and, and the things that have happened under that roof, um, you just can't quite put a price on it. And then working for somebody like Mike that, that I truly believe is going to be in the, in the same line of some of those historic guys, um, he's building it back up and he's going to take it to a whole nother level. Last year was not the peak, even close to it. Um, and then being able to work with somebody like Scott Sutton, uh, that entire staff was great, but um, Coach Sutton and I, kind of the, the last year specifically, really spearheaded the defense. And so we got a chance to really work together, and I got to learn a ton from him. And hopefully he learned one or two things from me. And, and But I really enjoyed kind of uh, tackling scouting reports and doing things like that with him. And uh, so so it's, it's just a special place, the history, being able to, to coach in the, in the same place that Eddie Sutton was kind of roaming those sidelines and all the historic players that have played there. Uh, watching, watching, yeah, I was, I knew about the history of Oklahoma State, but, but watching the, uh, the Eddie documentary, that, that was, that was special for me because I, it gave me a, a, a ton more insight and it made me even more proud 
to be working at a place like Oklahoma State. As far as taking things uh, over here, I, I think the University of Florida, it's a little bit a later arriving tradition, but obviously the, the success that Billy Donovan's had here. Um, Long Kruger had, had success as well, but um, obviously the, the run that Billy's had, uh, the pride, I think there's a, lot of, there's a lot of similarities between Florida and Oklahoma State from a pride standpoint, a fan base. They, they expect to win. They want to win. They're super passionate. Um, and I'm a passionate coach, so I love the opportunity to be able to coach in those kind of passionate um, situations. And, and hopefully I can, I can bring some things that I learned that I, I thought we, we had a really aggressive style, that I think that's what the University of Florida historically tries to do, uh, be aggressive offensively, defensively. And um, I know that's what Coach White likes to do and what he wants to amp up even more. And, and I thought we had a lot of success with that at Oklahoma State, so hopefully I could bring, bring some of that uh, to, to our staff, and we've got a great staff here as well, so I'm excited to work with them. I want to talk about Coach Boynton in just a minute, but I want to ask about Cade Cunningham and this roster at Oklahoma State now. And I hate when I do this because I feel bad. Somebody wrote this, and I wish I could give them credit because I hate I'm – not, I'm, I'm not trying to say I came up with this on my own because I didn't. Um, but they, they kind of compared this Oklahoma State team last year to this year um, to, to Texas when they had Kevin Durant <clears> – <throat> And then he left, and they had quite a few players coming back. You know, namely DJ Augustine was was kind of the the piece returning. And I, um, so you look at this Oklahoma State team, and, and there's I do think there are a lot of similarities. You you had Cade last year, and you had a younger roster, and and they they made a run into the tournament for the first time in a while, and and Cade is gone, but most of this roster is back, and and you've added some guys to it who I'm I'm very excited about. I think we all are as Oklahoma State fans, but it, what do you think? was the impact of Cade really moving forward past his season? And, and what do you think should be realistic expectations for this Oklahoma State team that is, that is here for this coming season? I think, I think Cade made it uh, realistic for the rest of these guys that, that had already put in the work even before Cade to see what, what greatness could be. And, um, and he, he set a bar be honest and, and I think he said this even in, uh, after the season he doesn't expect the peak to be Oklahoma State losing in the second round of the NCAA tournament um, so I think a bar has been set I, I think when guys get a taste of what the NCAA tournament looks like get a taste of what winning a game in the NCAA tournament looks like and then you have those guys that come back there's a different level of confidence that I think they play with and, and I think it'll even uh, feed onto these guys when he's walking across that stage and playing in the NBA and the Avery Andersons of the world and the Caleb Boones and Isaac Likely's are like, man, that, that dude's doing work in the league. And he was our teammate last year and we had success with him, and we were going to have success without him. And, and I think that feeds you a whole nother level. I will say this, I, I like the Texas comparison, but I'm going to jump to a different comparison just because I've been saying this comparison since before we actually played a game uh, last season. And I tried to tell Mike about it, but he's, He's a head coach, and he had no interest in talking about what the what this program could look like post Kate. Uh, but that's what I did as an assistant. I just annoyed him with with a bunch of other stuff. Um, but I so I was a graduate assistant at Kansas State when Michael Beasley was there, and it wasn't the very next year. But so we got to the second round of the NCAA tournament, uh, won the first round game against USC, and then lost to Wisconsin in the second round. Uh, Michael Beasley, obviously number two pick in the draft, had a great year. But what people forget is Jacob Pullen was on that roster. Denny Clemente was sitting out. 
Jamar Samuels was on that roster, um, Dominic Sutton, a bunch of other guys, Luis Cologne. And so two years after that, that whole roster that had been there and, and kind of been through it, and, and there's something about playing with uh, like a, a special player like Michael Beasley or Kevin Durant or Kate Cunningham, that after those guys experienced that and they've been through so many things and all the media attention, I feel like, like their growth is accelerated significantly. So two years after that K-State Michael Beasley team, that was the K-State team that went to the Elite Eight um, and was, you know, probably a few minutes away from going to a Final Four. And I always kind of likened this team to that just because, yeah, we're, they were going to lose Cade, but you've got Avery back. You've got the Booms back. You've got Rondell and M.A. who are obviously going to take a huge jump. You've got Ice who, you know, people are going to think has been here forever because he's been such an impactful guy for so long. Um, so, so that was kind of the connection. I, I, I agree with the Texas one, but from a personal standpoint, I think it, it reminds me so much of K-State. I, I mentioned that to Mike before our season even started, and he was like, can we coach Cade for a year and see how it goes first? And I said, yeah, we can do that. We'll revisit this later. Well, I have a question about Cade Cunningham as well. So, obviously, the player on the court was spectacular and one of my favorite Oklahoma State players ever. Um, and it, it, the impact he had in one year was remarkable. But the person that Cade was, the little bit that we were able to see as fans, impressed me almost even more than what he, anything he ever did on the court. The way he carried himself, the, way he, the selfless teammate that he was. I, I love the story when he came back uh, for the Arkansas game and gave Caleb Boone his starting spot, basically, and said, I'll come off the bench. He's earned that. And doing all of this you know, as a father as well, and the way he handled himself in the media and carried himself with all that expectation um, can you speak to what he was as a person away from the court as well, like as a teammate and with the interactions he had with you and all that? Yeah, so <clears throat> I've said this a few times. I don't know how many times I'll get to coach the number one pick in the draft, uh, but I'll, I will hopefully I do it a few times. If, that, if I do it a few times, that means I'll be a pretty good coach. Um, so, uh, but I don't think there'll be any way that I'll coach somebody with, with, such a high talent level with so much attention being drawn to him. So many reasons to probably be a little more arrogant. And he just never was. He's just a regular dude. Like who you guys saw, there was, there was no act behind it. There was no, and I think it's a reason we had a lot of success and why we took it to another level as a unit late in that season, because he was just such a regular guy and such a good coachable player teammate that the rest of those guys kind of bought in. It was hard for some of those other guys to be difficult to coach. If you're looking at the number one pick in the draft, potentially, who's an All-American who's having a phenomenal year, and he's being coached as hard as anybody and, and being super coachable, I think it bled over to the team and um, and gave them tremendous confidence. But he's, he was great, man. He you know he wanted to watch film. He, he was really low-key. I think if you didn't know who Cade Cunningham was and maybe you were just a casual basketball fan but didn't really pay attention, if you walked into a practice, into our locker room, into a film session, into a team dinner, you'd have no idea, not a clue, that he was the number one pick by the way he acted or he was the top player in the country, whatever you guys want to say. Um, and I think that speaks to not only him, I think it speaks to his family. Great parents, awesome brother. Um, who, who held him as accountable as anybody. 
and and, and Kate took it. So I, you know, I think he was raised really well, and I think that helped him in a big way. And I think in the greater uh, sense, it helped this unit. It's going to help the program moving forward, even if he's not, even with him not being there. So I want to talk about about Coach Boynton. Um, I've, I've seen this said, and I agree. I don't think anybody who is a non-Oklahoma State alum has ever endeared themselves to the Oklahoma State fan base more than he has. Um, uh, we've read the story about the the coaching text group that he's got set up with various head coaches around Big 12 or around Oklahoma State. Uh, we've seen him at baseball games and talking about it and, and talking about it on, on Twitter. We've seen him at softball games and talking about it on Twitter and being vocally supportive of these other teams at Oklahoma State, which is, I'm not saying he's the only one that does that and it's the only guy at the only school. I'm sure there's guys and, and women at schools coaching all over the country who do this kind of stuff. But for, for Oklahoma State, it's very prominent for us. I, I believe to my core that's who he is, and I'm sure you were going to tell me that same thing. But I, I just, like, how much more, like, I guess, the, I'm trying to think the right way to face this question, but it's really like, how much more of that is who he is beyond what we even can see as fans on just seeing on social media? It's exactly who he is. Um, I, I think what you talk about with the, the, the coaching you know, group with the text and all the support, he, all those things involve relationships, right? So um, he is as big a relationship builder as I've ever come across. And it's all genuine. Um, it's why pe- people wonder why he's such a good recruiter. It's because he, he treats recruits and their families and coaches, high school coaches, AAU coaches. He treats people in a genuine manner and supports them and, and stays in touch with them. Not, it's, not, it's never transactional with Mike, um, and it never has been. And I just think it's the way he's wired. Um, and thankfully, I, I think me and him are, are similar in that way where we, we really – embrace relationships and he does that and I think I think what he does from a recruiting standpoint from in the community standpoint there's no way you can fake that um it's just it like that's just how he is if you, if you ever go out to lunch with him you go to hideaway he's gonna ask the waiter where he's from uh what school he went to if we're recruiting in Kansas City and we're at Q39 eating barbecue he's gonna ask the the server the same exact questions and he's gonna and, and if he goes back there two months later he's gonna remember that person and and ask him how their sister's doing who's going to KU or whatever um, and that's just who he is uh, he, he's he's just a relationship builder it's it's the thing that he excels most at because um, he cares about people and he cares about the community that he's in and and he's he's special in that way. Uh, people ask, try to ask me all the time what, you know, what I take away from Oklahoma State or, or working with Mike. And he's a great, he's a great X's and O's coach. Probably doesn't get enough credit for that um, because he is a good recruiter and, and good in so many other aspects. But, but he's elite. There isn't, there isn't a person better in the country at relationships than him. No chance. Yeah, I'll, I got some, I met him, I met Coach very briefly um, when I was a senior at Oklahoma State. I was at a soccer game, and he was standing there, so I, you know, started chatting him up and talking to him. Like, two or three months later, and there's, you know, obviously thousands of students on this campus, he saw me at one of the open practices that y'all held uh, that year, and yeah, 
first thing he he walks up and says like it was like oh hey Joel how's it going how are you doing with classes like how do you do this it, it's just remarkable it, yeah. it really is I'll, I'll never forget that interaction because that just shows how much he genuinely puts into every relationship with every person he meets yeah with, without without saying any names but I, I've worked for some head coaches now that you got to kind of uh, whisper to them like hey this is this is this person from from this newspaper this like remember even though you've met him eight times we're gonna go ahead and remind you the ninth time uh, and, and I don't think Mike's ever had to be uh, reminded of a person because he, he values relationships and I think it goes a long way not just within the Oklahoma State community but nationally um, from a recruiting standpoint from other coaches that support him standpoint he's, there you're not gonna find many people that dislike him because he's He's genuine across the board. Um, and even if people don't like what he has to hear at times, whether it be coaching or recruiting, he's always going to be honest and he's always going to shoot you straight. And I think I think that's something to be appreciated. So it's far and away the thing that I take the most from learning from him. Uh, a lot of things that I learned from him, but um, the relationship aspect is, I think it's vital, especially in today's day and age, more than ever. The portal and everything else, you better have good relationships or nine, nine of your guys are hitting the portal. All right, I just have one more question for you, Coach. Uh, we'll let you out of here again. Th thank you so much for your time. This has been awesome. But with how relaxed the coaching dress code was over this past season, are you cool if you never have to wear a suit on the sideline again? Me and my bank account are absolutely <laughs> cool with that. Um, yeah, I, I I was never a big fan. My one year as a head coach at Daytona, I uh, I think I wore a suit my first two games. And then I looked around the stands, and there was like 27 people in the stands. I'm like, what the heck am I wearing a suit for right now? Um, and so, uh, so I went I went hug style, went quarter zips. Now, I did wear some slacks, but I went quarter zips the rest of the year at Daytona. And, um, and yeah, I, I was relieved. I mean, it makes travel easier. I don't, I don't think people calculate the fact that, you know, it's traveling and stuff. you got to carry a suit around, but you also got to carry around some gear for practice. And, um, and again, we're just – you know, we're, we're on the court just trying to coach up some guys. I understand the traditional people that are like, you know, you could wear a suit and tie. I just, you know, I, I think I think it's overrated. I'd be shocked if, if, if the suit deal comes back. From the people I've talked to, I think a lot of people are getting behind the, uh, the more casual look. I think, it's, I think it's a better look personally. And I think there's some, I mean, I, we, we got some awesome stuff at Oklahoma State last year that I'm not sure we would have got if, if it wasn't for uh, – for us having to, to wear some sideline stuff. So shout out Keaton Page for that because he, he put he put some good gear together. I had to coach him up the first year, but he finally figured it out. Yeah, my, my bank account's going to take a hit if they keep releasing some of those polos that y'all kept wearing. Like any, they, You put Curse of Cowboys on anything, I, I'm going to buy it. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm not going to lie. They're, obviously, I've got to wear orange and blue now. Uh, but... Uh, there's a couple, a couple of those cursed cowboys. I'm not letting go. I'm sure, I'm sure, some, I'm sure some of those new staffers want want my uh, size, but they're not getting it. I'm taking it with me. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, uh, That's awesome, Coach Pastrana. Let me just say thank you very much. Um, this has been a pleasure and a joy. Um, it was, it was a great to have you in Stillwater for two years, uh, and. Uh, Hopefully we'll see you back one day in one way or another, um, but, uh, but good luck to you at, at Florida and uh, hope you guys have some, have some real success unless of course you face us and then I'm, I'm really sorry, but I'm going to, I'm going to have to root against you. Uh, it's totally understandable. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate Oklahoma state and 
Um, obviously, Mike, I, I know I put it on my little, uh, my outgoing tweet and all that stuff um, about how much I appreciated the program. And, and again, I, just to put it out there and I'll, you know, I've told, I've told many people, I didn't expect to, uh, I thought, I thought Oklahoma state was going to be the last place I was going to be an assistant coach. Um, I, I thought my next move would be a, a head coach somewhere. And I was completely fine with that. Cause I love the community. I love the university and I love working with Mike. Um, but university of Florida was, was a special opportunity and especially closer to family. And, um, you know, have a, a grandmother that's a little bit older, some young nieces. And, um, you know, you, we rarely in this profession get to balance the professional and the personal. And, um, and it was an opportunity for that, but I'm, I'm so thankful. And, um, you know, I'd, I'll be cheering on Oklahoma state all year next year. And I'll be annoying Mike with some of my, uh, some of my post game scouting reports when I do watch him play. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully he takes some of them and throws most of them in the trash like he did the last two years. So, <laughs> Well, Coach, once again, best of luck to you, and I don't think that head coaching job is too uh, too far out of your future, in my opinion, at least. Um, but well, best of luck to you, best of luck to Florida this year, and uh, we'll be rooting for, from you uh, from wherever we're at. Best of luck. Appreciate you guys. Got me down. Thank you once again to Eric Pastrana for coming on and talking to us about his time at Oklahoma State. That was a ton of fun. I I'm so glad we had the opportunity to talk to him. And as I mentioned at the end of that thing, I don't think we're going to see assistant coach Eric Pastrana much longer. Uh, that guy with the way that he's trending, I think, is one of the you – know, he's been kind of considered one of the top assistants in the country, uh, especially for his age over the last few years. And he he's going to be a head coach somewhere very soon. Yeah, I wouldn't shock me at all. Um, at all. I, I I hate when people throw around the phrase like he's a good recruiter. It's it's code for, well, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. But um, I think he's a good recruiter. I think he's learned a lot. I think he's a good assistant coach. I mean, he he said it himself. He he and and Coach Sutton ran the defense. I don't think that was just Sutton. I, I do think he had a big part in that. Um, I, I agree. I, I think he'll be a one of those directional Florida schools is going to open up here the next three years and we're going to see Eric Pastrana as the, as the head coach. That, that would be my bet. Um, guy from Florida makes a lot of sense. Uh, obviously, Oklahoma State's hired two new assistants. Um, you and I jokingly, I don't even think jokingly, like no. we said, I bet and watch, they're going to get somebody from the state of Florida because I think Boynton likes to have somebody from that region on the staff to help with recruiting. I think that's a big, I think that's a big part of of what he likes to do. And I think that makes a lot of sense, by the way. I don't think that's just like ridiculous. Like it makes a lot of sense to have somebody from a talent rich area on your <laughs> coaching staff helping with the recruiting process. Um, so they got their two guys. They got David Kaysen and they got Larry Blunt. David Kaysen coming from, um, oh, FIU? F FIU. Yeah, I was like, is it FIU? Because Blunt came from Drake. Um, Kaysen actually, has had been in a coach had been an assistant at Tulsa previously so he's been in the state of, of Oklahoma uh, before so he's not unfamiliar with the state of Oklahoma also just stops at North Carolina Notre Dame VCU um, so I think it's a nice addition I think that's that's filling the Pastrana role is what his job is and of course Larry Blunt um, spent the last few seasons at Drake founded so I don't understand all of some of this stuff like apparently he founded Orangeville Prep in Ontario Canada um, I love the idea of a Canada connection because I think Oklahoma State as a school 
has really been trying to do a better job of reaching into Canada for talent, obviously. Was it, was it Moncrief from Orangeville Prep? Yep. There it is. Okay. That, yeah, yes. that's right. I, I, uh, Jamal Murray is from there. Thon Maker was from there. So um, there's players that come out of, of Orangeville Prep. I, I, I think you brought this guy in because he, he knows how to coach, obviously. But I, I do think it's a – Let's let's look into Canada and do a good job of finding those guys and bringing them in. Um, so I think they're two smart hires. I, I think they make a lot of sense for Oklahoma State. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and also Scott Sutton is still a part of the basketball program, but he has moved into a director of basketball administration, very similar to what his brother Sean does at Texas Tech. Uh, so he's moving into more of like an admin, like executive role, quote unquote, uh, with the basketball program, but is still around. The, oh, I can't forget think of his name. This is the role that, forgive me, I'm, I feel terrible. The guy who had been an assistant, he was assistant coach for a year. He had been the previous head coach at the Miami of Ohio. Oh, Barry Henson. Brought him, no, not Barry Henson. He's back as a, as a oh, uh, paid Cooper. assistant, Cooper. not just a volunteer. Uh, Cooper, yes. Um, he had been, I think, in the role that Sutton is in now. I think Cooper has moved on and taken an assistant coaching job somewhere. So that it makes sense uh, a lot. Okay, let's wrap on the last big of what the news. Uh, Mike Gundy has basically just admitted that he will be retiring before the year 2028, I think is the biggest takeaway from this <laughs> because there's no way in hell Mike Gundy would agree to playing North, uh, Alabama in football in a home and home in 2028 and 2029 if he thought he was still going to be the head coach at Oklahoma State. I mean, that came across my my timeline today when I was just sitting at my desk, and I was like, what the fresh hell is going on here? But, I, I mean, I'm cool with it. Like, yeah. I'm cool with it. Like, that's, that's awesome. You get Alabama to come to Stillwater? Like, hell yeah, let's do it. That's the big thing. Yeah. And, look, Alabama has shifted its philosophy. Alabama was the king of week one neutral site neutral, which was always closer to – Alabama than whoever they were playing, of course, site games. And Saban knew the playoff was going to expand. And so that means you can – and their fans were getting – their fans got bored. Their fans were bored because they blow everybody out and they didn't have anybody good at home except for, like, LSU every year in Auburn, right? So they decided, let's bring these here. Uh, it can help us out by playing home and homes that benefits your strength of schedule. It's better for you. It's better for your fan base. It's better for your community. It's better for your school to have home and homes. They've got home and homes with Texas and West Virginia. Um, Notre Dame. It makes a lot of sense. Oh. I, and again, I, maybe, so look, actually, no, yes, because they had to move the Notre Dame series back uh, to accommodate this one. So Nick Saban not signed a new contract extension through the 2028 season. So maybe he's still coaching there. I doubt Gundy is. Maybe he is. I, I didn't, I'd say that's jokingly because I really don't think he'll be there at that point. Anyways, as silly as some of the stuff is, because they scheduled Nebraska for like 15 years from now, but it's only seven years away. Yeah. 28 and 29 is only seven years away. And Oklahoma State's going to have a home and home with Alabama. And maybe the Alabama is still great and OSU sucks at that point and they get curb stomped. But if you think fans aren't going to show up to watch Oklahoma State play Alabama in, 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 in Galagraba, they would also do that in Boone Pickens Stadium. Dude, that's, awesome 
oh yeah, my ass is going to be there. Like, absolutely. I'm going to that. Like, th there's no doubt in my mind that I'm going to Stillwater that we can, I don't know where I'm living, what I'm going to be doing. I will be in Stillwater to watch Alabama come into town. Like, hell yeah, I am. And I might even go to Tuscaloosa the next year because what the hell, why not? Where, why else, and why else would I go to Tuscaloosa? You know, I will say this. You look at the non-conference schedule, and props to Chad Weiberg, who's maniacal laughing about putting this on the schedule. Yes. Um, look at the non-conference schedule for Oklahoma State for the next foreseeable future. You have Road State game at Boise State this year, right? Then you have home and homes with Arizona State, Oregon, Alabama, Nebraska, and two home and homes, so four games with Arkansas. And then you still have, like, two open dates in the middle of there somewhere. So you've got Oregon, Arizona State, Alabama, Arkansas, and Nebraska coming up in non-conference. That's a, those are good non-conference schedules. Really, really. Those are, considering how poorly some of the non-conference scheduling has been for Oklahoma State over the years, outside, you know, they played Arizona a couple times. You've had Boise State, which was at Pitt, Washington State. Uh, I mean, other than, like, Oregon the State. Oregon State, they had the Florida State game, but, I mean, they yeah. have – really upped the quality of the non-conference games for football. And I appreciate that. I do. Yes, I love it. Oh, yeah. you, by the way, if you think I'm not going to the game at Arizona State, you are out of your mind. I am absolutely going to Tempe and going to go watch OSU football. I am going. It's going to be awesome. I might go to the Oregon one. Because to go to Autzen Stadium, mm -hmm. that would be – and that's also going to be like a solid uniform match. That's probably the best uniform matchup like ever. Oh, if we're rocking their green, we'll probably be rocking, we'll be walking white. Oh, be, it's going to look good. That'll be sexy. Yeah, that's sexy. good. That, those two games are going to be yeah. top tier uniform matchups. And I don't even know what our uniforms are going to look like at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, probably like metallic. I don't know. Oh, God, who knows? <laughs> uh, you got any final okay. thoughts on this, on this thing? Right. No. Yeah. Uh, Oklahoma State track and field, national championship. We'll see how they do. Uh, follow my show, the 1012 Podcast, at 1012podcast, T-N-1-2-podcast on Twitter. Uh, you can find us anywhere podcasts are available, and we've got lots of great off-season content for you, which is good evergreen stuff. So if you missed an episode, don't worry. You can go back and check it out. You can follow me at JT Penfield. And before we get out of here, I do want to give a quick – Pokes in the Pros minor league update here. Ben Leeper, pitcher for the last couple of years, uh, was the closer on the team the shortened season last year. Went from undrafted free agent straight to double A and is now going to triple A for the – going to be pitching for the Iowa Cubs and the Cubs organization. Caden Polkovich, who was on the team last year, was really, really good during this shortened season. He's in high A for the Mariners, and he was just named the uh, league player of the week at five home runs in the series. He was doing really well. Uh, Trey Cobb is in triple A. And I think Thomas Hatch is in the bullpen for the Toronto Blue Jays. So good stuff there. Um, yeah, we'll talk to you all uh, next week. Um, is next week the holder coaching hires or is that going to be the following? It depends yeah. on if I get my list done in time for next week. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure it out. We, we'll, we have something. Yes, we have, next we have, week. Yeah, we, we have episodes planned over the next couple of weeks of kind of what we're going to do. I think the holder coaching hires one, the highly anticipated holder coaching hires is going to be, is finally going to be recorded next week. So we'll talk to you all then. Take care.